welcome to New Life Preaching Podcast, where we stream our sermons from each Lord's Day. In this series, entitled The Household of God, we begin our study of the first epistle of Peter, where he seeks to encourage Christians who are scattered among pagan nations. Join us each Lord's Day so that you don't miss a single sermon. So 1 Peter chapter 2, 18-25, if you are there in your copy of God's Word, I invite you to stand so that we honor the reading of God's Word this morning. Servants, be subject to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the froward. For this is thankworthy. If a man for conscience toward God endure grief, suffering wrongfully, for what glory is it? If when ye be buffeted for your faults, ye shall take it patiently. But if when ye do well and suffer for it, ye take it patiently, this is acceptable with God. For even hereunto were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that ye should follow in his steps, who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judges righteously, who his own self, bear our sins in his own body on the tree that we, being dead to sins, should live unto righteousness by whose stripes you were healed. For you were a sheep going astray but are now returned unto the shepherd and bishop of your souls. Father, we come to you, indeed the shepherd, the overseer, of our souls. Lord, we come to you in light of the crisis, the trial, uh, Lord, the sin, whatever it is that has afflicted us this week, Lord, we bring this to you, the one who has made atonement, the one who perfects us into the image of Christ. And Lord, we leave ourselves to you. We ask that you would meet with us in our gathering in your house made of your people. Lord, that by this teaching and by your word, we would know you better. We would understand what you've accomplished in Christ. Father, that we would be more like him and that you would be more glorified because of our gathering. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Last week we concluded uh, with the summarizing passage that seemed to wrap up what Peter had said before and it was with the verse that precedes what we just read from, honor all, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king or emperor. 
So we discussed last week the way the Christian submits to authority, and that's not without its caveats. Uh, we understand that in the way that Scripture speaks of that submission. That was our, our goal. That was our study. This morning, Peter goes a step further in his teaching. He shows us how <clears throat> the nature of our submission has as its root the nature of our suffering. Uh, Peter's linking the two. Our submission is tied to the way in which we suffer. It is when we suffer under the hand of the unrighteous that we glorify Christ, who himself suffered under the hand of the unrighteous for our sakes, who were also unrighteous. I mean, we ourselves were unrighteous. That's the example he gives. If we just briefly were to summarize this, sometimes I ask my children when we're studying, you know, read this passage, and then I ask them, would you tell that the same thing to me in your own words? Uh, let's make sure that we understand what's being said. And essentially, Peter says, what, what value is it? If when you're wrong, you suffer because of it. Well, we do a lot of stupid things, and we suffer penalty from it uh, sometimes. He says, no, that's not what I'm talking about. Whenever you do what's just, and you do what's righteous, and you submit and you suffer for it wrongfully, then, then you have glorified Christ who, who suffered for your sake for the unrighteous, under the hand of unrighteous, the one who knew no sin, yet he bore your sins. And so we're looking to Christ who suffered uh, for us. And uh, we then as Christians, we suffer. We suffer for the righteous Christ who suffered for us. And so... Peter preaches, Christians suffer like Christ. And so uh, sometimes we have some fill in the blanks to help keep you engaged in the outline that's on the back of the bulletin. And our first point, Christians suffer like Christ. So the passage before us has in view a comparison now, not merely as between Christ and yourself, but between Christ himself and the nature of the believer who is made like Christ in his suffering. Now, let me fill that out a little bit. We're not just comparing you or any person to Christ. We're not saying... Christ was merely this example, and he is an example, but that's incredibly important because the Christian is made new. You are regenerated. The believer is born of God, and they are made to be in the likeness of Christ. And so you're given the spirit of Christ, and so the comparison is between the believer and that which they are being conformed to. So we will indeed uh, be drawn to this nature and made into this image and nature of Christ and so we're evaluating ourselves in accordance with that image that we're being made into. So it's not as if we're just pl uh, placing ourselves in the stead of Christ 
But we do want to look to his example for that is to what we are have been called. And um, we'll be filling that out. So Christians suffer like Christ. And there certainly is a comparison here. And we want to fill out those comparisons. And the first way is that we suffer. In suffering like Christ, we suffer under ungodly authority. Christ suffered under ungodly authority. And when Peter calls us to suffer, it is to suffer under ungodly authority. Paul exhorts the church in Philippians this way in Philippians 2, 5 through 8. He says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours also in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. And made himself nothing by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. In other words, Paul is saying Christ is all these things. He's done all of these things. He suffered this way, not, not just in the cross. He's, he suffered in humiliating himself, taking the likeness of men in the likeness of men, he was obedient, but he was obedient not just as a child or, or to the law, but o obedient to death under unrighteous judges to the point of death on a cross, the most humiliating, the most torturous forms of punishment. He says all of that, re sort of recapping the entire gospel, Paul applied it in saying, have this mind among yourselves, actually begins that chapter. He says, be imitators of God. In the way that Peter has said, be servants uh, under these ungodly authorities. The way that Christ suffered under ungodly authorities. Christ was most righteous. He suffered in the most unrighteous way for the sake of the un most unrighteous people whom he would choose to save. And here we're told to suffer like this. You're called to be like the one who suffered on your behalf. It's incumbent upon you, the believer, that you would suffer under ungodly authority. We do hope that God does what He has done in times past. We hope that and pray that God brings salvation of souls by way of this suffering. That we would suffer and that would bear testimony. And that God would bring repentance in these forward leaders. That God would bring repentance in those who are watching the persecution of the church. This happens. Under all sorts of unjust governments, this is the way God has chosen to act. And so we pray for that. We pray for God to act so graciously in our place and in our day. But regardless of the outcome, we are satisfied as Christians. We're satisfied to be like Christ in our suffering under the ungodly. The second way that we suffer like Christ from our text, the way Peter is writing to us, is according to our calling. He, he tells us, uh, be subject to our masters, not only to the good and the gentle, but also the froward. And he compares all of this to Christ. 
But he says, this is to which we have been called. Unto this you have been called. In verse 21. Let it not be said that this suffering is passive. Or that it requires passivity. Uh, that we're to say, oh well, or act as if it doesn't matter. I don't think any of us would here would say, who read our Bibles at least, that Christ was passive in His obedience. No, Christ was active. Christ uh, was intentional. At times, Jesus was abrasive. Uh, but we must realize that we are called to this suffering. There's a calling that is placed upon our life the way that it was placed upon Christ's life. Peter's writing to those who are suffering this way. He's writing to all of these people who are scattered abroad and have been persecuted by their faith. And, and let's face it, a great many of them are where they are as a result of their persecution that has driven them there. So he tells them, suffer this way. He helps them to understand their suffering. Peter's saying, you're suffering in this pace of whether it's place of pagan worship, uh, people that surround them or oppressive governments or, or even uh, hypocritical uh, religious people. It doesn't matter their circumstance. The reality is, is it's, it's a great variety of those circumstances. When he writes this letter to be circulated, he helps them to understand their own situation. And his writing regarding suffering, it gives them hope. It gives them understanding. Whenever he's writing about this suffering, it gives them patience and it gives them resolve so that they can, instead of asking why, they can suffer with intentionality. They were called to such things. And so in order to understand our calling, we do so by His example. Peter has said, suffer this way. This is what you've been called. It's not just to suffer because you do things wrong. No, you're called to a holy calling. You've been born again. He's, he's reissued this gospel. He's talked about all of this laying aside of evil. And he says, all right, what I'm talking about now is, is do good. I'm not talking about people who are stuck in sin. We're talking about people who are born again. People who've repented of sin and they're pursuing Christ. And, and now they're suffering for righteousness. And they're doing so by, because they're called to this. And they're doing so according to the example of Christ. So we suffer like Christ by his example. So the question stands, how did Christ submit? When we look at Christ's suffering, when we look at Christ's submission, he did so with full authority. Now think about that. This suffering Savior who was made little, who humiliated himself, humbled himself by becoming obedient even to death on the cross. Obedient, mind you. The one through whom all things were made became obedient to the creation that was submissive to him. And yet even on his 
weakest, in his weakest hour, he stood greatest, full of authority. He reminded his aggressor and his accuser that you do nothing except that which has been given to you by my father. He had the authority to lay down his life and the authority to take it up again. Don't you remember the scriptures? Christ submitted and he suffered, but he did so with full authority. He was not absent that role in his suffering. He did so with freedom among men. We discussed freedom a little bit last week. Um, We see that even his suffering, he did so uh, knowing. Had people ask, what authority does this man speak? He was free to speak. He had the authority to speak, and he did so as a servant of God. We see the Christ who suffered. He said, not my will, but thine. He put himself, the one who was capable of pulling himself down from the cross, didn't. Do you understand that? He was a servant of God. He did so patiently for sinners. As he suffered in the weight of our sin, he said, Father, forgive them. That's part of this example that we see. He did so under persecution of unjust authorities. We look to Christ in all situations as our example, but the reality is is He's not merely an example. We don't just say Jesus has set the way for us, now you just have to follow in it. That's the foolishness of Arminianism, it's the foolishness of Jehovah's Witness, it's the foolishness of all sorts of religions that is not Christian. He's not merely a guide to holy living as many would suppose. He is the nature into which every believer will be conformed. Christ has accomplished in His suffering things you and I could not accomplish and yet He's drawn you in so that every Christian inherits their identity in Christ Himself. It's the suffering Savior that you are to become. This is why we have a picture of the mold that we have come out of so that we in every way can be conformed to this perfect image. So we're made new in Christ. We get a picture, we do have an example, and yet it's Christ who's done this work, who has formed us. It's the one through whom all things were made in John 1. And yet in Christ, He is the only one through whom all things are remade unto salvation. Uh, So we believe we're made into this perfect image. And there's one last way that we mimic Christ, that we're like Christ in this suffering, and that is entrusting ourselves to God. This was... uh, Just like Christ's suffering, our suffering is a direct communication of our faith in God to execute His will. When we suffer, we're able to endure knowing that God is our sustainer. He'll not fail in His plan of redemption for us and those that He'll continue to save. So, we suffer, and we may talk about this, and on Sunday mornings, 
in our Sunday school study hour, we've been talking about this. God as uh, a sustainer, God as sovereign, God as lawgiver. I mean, all, all of these things in which God ensures because he is God and because he is the author and because he is sovereign and he does decree the end from the beginning, we can be certain. We can trust in him. And our endurance through suffering is a direct correlation to the faith that we can put in this sure God who calls himself the Alpha and the Omega. So we entrust ourselves to God the way Christ did to God, but there's more. As I've said, Christ is not merely an example to follow. Though he's not less, he's definitely more. We must have an adequate understanding of the sufferings of Christ. Peter tells us suffer like this. You have this Christ, but then he focuses on Christ. He draws your attention yet again to the gospel. How are we reminded that we need the gospel for salvation, but we need the gospel for life. You need the gospel today as much as you needed the gospel when you were first saved, when you first heard this stuff. There are hard times ahead, Christian, and you need the gospel. So let us look at Christ. How did Christ suffer? How did he suffer in a way that wasn't just an example for you to follow? How did he suffer in the way that enables you to suffer knowing what's been already accomplished in his suffering? You must understand the sufferings of Christ. What did he accomplish? Now, there's a number of these points. Some of these relate to how we got to follow in his example, but some of these works are specific to Christ. They're they're not intended for you to somehow mimic as much as they allow you to participate in this redemption and inherit his likeness. The first way is in his vocation. That's a word we don't use very much anymore. Christ suffered in his vocation. This is similar to what we would say when we talked about our calling what he was called to do. That is the work to which Christ was set to do. Let us understand Christ had a job to do, a role to fill. He was the anointed one who was prophesied from the beginning who would accomplish the redemption of fallen man that would bring God's creation to its intended final estate. Christ suffered according to his intended work or vocation. Christ suffered in a way that was free from sin. He didn't, he didn't suffer according to sin. Now, something we can acknowledge, we, we want to suffer, and we want to do so apart from our wrongdoing that's deserved the judgment. And yet at the end of the day, when we who are Christian understand the, the filth of our sin, we recognize that there is not a government oppressive enough to afflict us for the sin 
that we have committed and the judgment that we deserve. We understand how sinful that we are and how dirty that sin is. It's, it's due a just wrath worse than anything that can be afflicted upon us by man. When we look to Christ, there is no sin. The one who knew no sin is the one that bore our sin on the tree. There was no deceit found in his mouth. So this is where Christ defers, and yet this sinless example is what you and I are called to look unto. Is Christ, this sinless sacrifice. He's perfect in all of his ways and in all of his being. His suffering was not sinful. Yet it was right for Christ to suffer. So if Christ was, he suffered in his vocation in this role, we understand that Christ didn't sin by suffering. He didn't do the wrong thing in suffering. It doesn't say that much in the Gospels. It's not as if there were other or better options for Christ to pursue. I want you to understand something. If Christ had done anything else, it wasn't merely passive. If, if He had said uh, uh, some other will but the Father's, then it would have been sin. Had Christ not suffered, it could have incurred sin on him. It was right for Christ to suffer. There were no better options for Christ to pursue in his ministry. He was not helpless. His outlook was not bleak. He suffered the way he was intended to. He, he told his own apostles, Did I not choose each one of you and yet one of you is the devil? Did he not tell Peter who told him, turn back from this, this passion, turn back from this suffering, don't go into Jerusalem. And he says, get behind me, Satan. Suffering was the way of Christ and there was no other way. He suffered as he intended to, showing that his kingdom was not of this world. There was no success to be had not a kingdom of this world that he set up. The sinless suffering of Christ served a purpose, and so he did so without sin, and Christ suffered full of faith. As Christ entrusted himself to God, we, we read that he, he continued, he bore all of this and committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. He entrusted himself to God, and so too we entrust ourselves to God is God not sovereign? Isn't He worth our complete trust and our perfect faith? Christ, though He was reviled, did not revile in return. He waited upon God to bring justice. Vengeance belongs to the Lord. True faith is not based in worldly success. True faith gives over all of our life and of our existence for the cause of Christ. Look, can't you see it? I mean, don't we read time and again in the scriptures the, the judgment God inflicts by way of weather, the way that he, can, 
he inflicts confusion upon armies. Certainly some of us have have concerns here with a wickedness of oppressive rulers. And do you not see already the confusion that has afflicted those oppressive rulers? Certainly it's there. Certainly it, it can't stand itself. If we let them have their way and say nothing, it will perish. God will bring the unjust to destruction. He is not slow in bringing his justice. So we can do so full of faith. Christ suffered for our atonement. Peter makes clear he bore our sins in his own body on the tree. Now, Christian, this is where you do well to look to the Scriptures, use the vocabulary of the Scriptures, and memorize the Scriptures the way that they are written. They say that the one who knew no sin was made to be sin. He bore our sins, Peter says, in his own body on the tree. Some people confuse this word that I've just used for our atonement. You must understand that Christ has satisfied the wrath of God by dying in your place. You must answer the question, for whom did Christ die? If you do not believe in Him, if your faith is not in Him, He did not die in your place. And there is no, there is no punishment paid on your behalf. Christ died in your place. That's called the substitutionary atonement. That wrath of God was due you. We're told he bore our sins in his own body on the tree that you might have life. You do not make your own atonement. I've heard this said. We each have our own atonement. No, there's no such thing. There's only one atonement and that atonement must be accomplished in the work of Jesus Christ. You do not add to salvation you do not accomplish it yourself. You need Christ. You must rely upon Him. If you believe something different, well, you're not Christian. If you would like to add some caveat to what I said, you're not Christian, friend. You've got some other thing. You've been afflicted by some other worldly philosophy. That is not Christian. We call ourselves after the name of Christ, Christian, because we rely on one. One who has saved us. He suffered for our atonement. Christianity hinges and God's word rests upon this full work of God through Jesus Christ. He suffered for our atonement. And Peter goes on, he says he did so in order that we might die to sin and live unto righteousness. He bore our sins in his own body on the tree that we being dead now to sin should live unto righteousness. Christ suffered for our newness of life. The Christian receives a new nature. What is that nature? 
the nature of Christ. You receive his nature. In him, you live to righteousness. You receive his nature. The Christians newly constituted of him. John said, you're the, the one who believed in him, he gave the right to be called sons of God, or not of man, nor of the will of man, not of the flesh or blood, but of God. You're constituted in him. So he grants newness of life. It's no longer a discussion of your obedience versus your faith or the work of God. Christ has become all in all. You in him and Christ in you. As, as a man and wife are said to become one flesh, we're given in God's word this picture of, of Christ in the church. Where that heavenly bridegroom becomes one with his bride. He suffered that you may walk in newness of life. Your suffering is like this in that it's not gloomy. It's not helpless. It's not afraid. It's not anxious of outcome. No, when we suffer, it is in the light of this suffering of Christ, knowing this one who has given you new life. Peter continues, Christ has suffered for our healing that you should live under righteousness by whose stripes you were healed. I want to pause here a minute. There's several people who love to quote this passage as saying Christ has rid the world, or at least the Christian world, of all disease. In charismatic strains of thought, they even say there are 49 stripes and there's only 49 strains from which all viruses come. Now the thought's nice that Christ has broken the effects, all of the effects of sin upon the world, even all sicknesses and anxiety, but the context bears true to reality. When we look at this passage, we're reading a text that guides us to accept suffering, not to shy away from it, not to be afraid of suffering. We shouldn't have an aversion to suffering under sickness or oppression or anything. However, it is true that none of these sorts of suffering have their effect against the conclusion of our faith. It doesn't matter how much that the Christian suffers. It doesn't matter how much they are afflicted in sickness. It doesn't matter how low they are brought in their estate like Job. It doesn't matter how much they are oppressed or persecuted by their governments. The faith of the Christian never fails. We're healed of the effects of all of those afflictions. We await the total fruition of healing that Peter speaks of. All the promises that will come in our hour of glorification. It causes us to long for the return of Christ. But the healing... Peter speaks of is according to our greatest need. He tells us you've been healed. And I think he explains the, the way in which we're healed for you. 
were a sheep going astray, but now are returned unto the shepherd and bishop of your souls. So in conclusion, we see that final point, and this is where all of this is drawn together, and that is that you can experience reconciliation unto God. That's the way you've been healed. So that no suffering is enough. No suffering is enough. Uh, Paul says that, that no one, what God has joined together, no man can put asunder. He wasn't talking about marriage whenever he wrote that. He was talking about the Christian, the way in which you have been fastened to Christ. You've been reconciled. This is the way you're healed. You've returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. What a sweet refrain. Listen, so much was lost at the fall. So great was the cost of our unfaithfulness. Who, who here can't look back at our own lives and see the waste of time that plagued our families due to our own lack of focus on Christ? We each can bear the pain that, that was caused by our own wayward or apathetic past and the glorious truth that we've now returned because of Christ to the shepherd and overseer, this bishop, of our souls. That needs to resonate with us a moment because the words that are used there, that shepherd and bishop, it's, it's what's translated as pastor uh, and, and as overseer. And actually, if we look to the letters, those pastoral letters Paul writes to Timothy and Titus, those two words are used synonymously. Pastor, shepherd, uh, bishop, overseer, it's, they're used of the same office. And yet Peter's using them here in conjunction, speaking of the same office and office holder. He's saying the, the same. They are the same. The, the bishop, the, the, the pastor and the overseer that watches over your souls. He's applied these to God is the one who demonstrates such a watchful care over the souls of his flock. Christian, you've been reconciled to this God of your salvation. This hope-filled message, it, it should inspire you to endure, not, not just to tolerate what's, what's awful or what's fearful or or to just be able to suffer well but to thrust into it intentionally whatever your circumstance is it doesn't matter whatever whatever that sin is that 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 the spirit is working in you to to put to death whatever trial whatever affliction you can do so and suffer intentionally knowing that our chief shepherd, the good shepherd, goes before and comes behind. You see, the focus of our suffering is not our suffering. It's Christ. If there's one thing that you leave with this morning, I pray that it is a knowledge and an understanding that the believer has been reconciled to God. 
So we continue in doing what is righteous. There is nothing that thwarts the calls of God. You suffer knowing that righteousness does prevail. You ought not to fear the world, nor her vain displays of wretched sin, a love for sin or effects of sin, not her persecutions of all who seek faithfulness to God. You ought not to worry for the outcome of your life or your soul. The scriptures tell us your life is hidden with Christ in God for you who have died to sin. You have one who cares for you and watches over your soul in this life and the next. This bountiful God is who Peter calls us to focus on in our pursuits and in our suffering. As we understand what it means and looks like to be the household of God, we must see the work of God in Jesus Christ. We must be sure of that reconciliation. And so when we talk about suffering, it's not by way of tolerance. It is that you push through. You continue to pursue what is good and righteous. And yet your success does not rest in the outcome. So we persist. We run the race with endurance that's been set before us. And we spend our lives. We spend our lives for this sake the way Christ spent His. The work is finished. The work is finished. And so I pray this eases our anxieties as we rest in Christ. Father, we pray that this word that we have received this morning makes us well aware of the finished work of Christ. We pray that it gives us motivation to persist. Lord, that we would endure. That it would give us the courage to enter the battlefield. Lord, that it would not make us afraid of harm or of affliction as we commit to spiritual warfare. Lord, that none of us would be afflicted because of wrongdoing. We pray you rid us of our constant wrongdoing. Lord, that we might suffer for righteousness. Lord, that you would send us out, make us useful, go before and come behind. And Lord, as we trust in you for salvation and all things, Lord, we ask you to do your will. Come quickly. In Jesus' name, amen.
Thank you for listening to New Life Preaching Podcast. Subscribe so you don't miss a single sermon. We invite you to our Lord's Day gathering at New Life Baptist Church Hallsville where we meet and worship 10.30 a.m. each Lord's Day.